0: All right, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis 46 this morning. Genesis 46. Uh, I've enjoyed the clapping in the service today. Uh, feel free to keep that going during the sermon. Uh, yeah, thank you. I mean, actually, once I start going, have got to wait till I say something worth clapping for. No, uh, Please don't feel any pressure to do that. That might actually distract me. Uh, Uh, While I'm preaching anyway, I'd really uh, actually appreciate more that you follow along in the scripture verse by verse as we go through the scripture. If you uh, read or follow the news, uh, there is a lot going on right now. Wars, rumors of wars, people marching for the right. Right. And boasting in their choice to put to death unborn babies, mass shootings. We need a word from God. And that's what we're going to look at today. God has a word for us from Genesis 46 and 47. I cannot give you a word I'm a human being like you. I've got nothing really of value. But I do know where God's word is. And that's why week after week, we get into the scripture. We go line by line. And we attempt to submit ourselves to what God's word says. In Genesis chapter 46 and 47, we come to the end Of A section regarding Joseph and his brothers And their trips back and forth uh, From Canaan to Egypt In the last several weeks We've seen two round trip visits From Canaan to Egypt and back On the first trip Famine forced the brothers down to Egypt Where they stood before the prime minister of Egypt Unknowingly it was their brother Joseph Who uh, right off the bat accuses them of being spies So uh, these brothers uh, spend three nights in prison And they're released uh, Only so that they can go back and get their youngest brother To prove that they're not spies Well Jacob hears that And he refuses to send Benjamin down to them But eventually he has no choice because all of their supplies dwindle away. So our discussion of the second trip began with a family talk with Jacob and the brothers up in Canaan. A family talk about the man down in Egypt. Do you remember that? The man. Jacob prays for them, prays that God would protect them from the man. And then they made it to a family meal down in Joseph's house and. Things seem to be going well. They move along on their journey. They're heading back for the second time to their house with all kinds of supplies, everything that their donkeys can hold. And then they come to their final test. Someone planted a silver cup in Benjamin's bag. But the brothers pass the test when they decide to stick it out with Benjamin, although um, he's likely to bear a good deal of punishment for this. And it's at that time in the story that Joseph breaks down. He reveals his true identity to his brothers and explains that he doesn't want to punish them. He actually wants to provide for them and for Jacob for the next five years as the famine continues. And so today what we're going to look at is Genesis 46 and 47. We're going to look at the third trip. This trip won't contain the same ups and downs, and it will not result in a return trip to Canaan, at least not for 430 years or so. Instead, Jacob and his family go down to stay in Egypt, and they stay there for quite some time. So Genesis 46 and 47 is the story of Jacob's journey to Egypt. It's Jacob's journey to Egypt. And in this text, Jacob Uh, is an elderly man, an elderly vulnerable man. We'll find out in the story that he's 130 years of age, and he's going away from everything he knows in obedience to God in order to meet or to find his long-lost son. Now, we read this story, and we, we, we are perhaps familiar with it. I hope there's some level of familiarity with it uh, for you today. But I think sometimes we fail to imagine or grasp the true significance of a 130-year-old man making a journey like this. I think it would be equivalent to some of our shut-ins in the church. who are quite elderly. Feeling led by God to make a trip to go down to Mexico to a distant country, different language. And so as we consider Jacob today, remember that he's an elderly, vulnerable man following after God in his journey of faith. And it's my prayer that as we do that, that you'll identify with Jacob's journey of faith. And that as a result of the time and the Word today, that you'll determine afresh or anew, that you will trust God even when his path takes you in uncomfortable directions. Today we're going to learn what to do when God says move or what to do when God says go and do something that might not be what you're wanting. Okay now Jacob's journey here has is two phases to it. It starts with phase one a record of the departure and the descendants in Genesis 46. So when I think of Genesis 46 I think of departure and descendants. Let's read of their departure in verses 1 through 7. Genesis 46, verse 1. It says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am the God, or I am God, the God of your father.'" Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you into Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob sent out from Beersheba the sons of Israel, carried Jacob their father, their their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods and which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. So we'll start here with a description of their departure. Trip starts with Jacob taking a long journey. Love for Joseph, no doubt, is his primary motivation that will we'll take this old man and have him start on the journey. The question is, will that, motiva- will, will that be enough motivation, love for Joseph? What's well, interesting that in our passage, I think he, he gets another motivation in verses 2 through 7 where he hears from God. He gets this motivation in a place uh, by the name of Beersheba, and if you've been paying attention in Genesis, this is an important place in the stories of Genesis. Beersheba is a place that Jacob himself had departed from when he went down to padan Aram looking for a wife. Remember, he leaves and he comes back with four. But he leaves from Beersheba. But this place is also important uh, to his grandfather Abraham. If you were reading in Genesis 21, you would see that Beersheba was a significant site for worship for Abraham. Genesis 21 Verses 32 and 33. And then it also was a significant place of worship for his father. Right? It goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Isaac also worships at Beersheba. So I think Jacob, elderly Jacob, understands the significance of this location. This is a place where his grandfather and his father offered sacrifices to God. And so on this journey, he stops and he leads his family to offer sacrifices in this location. I think it's important to note that Jacob's first act along the way in going down to Egypt is to worship. I think this is a great example of seeking God for us when it seems that God might be moving us to obey in a direction that is apart from the fulfillment of his promises for us. James Montgomery Boyce said this. He said, many Christians are confronted with change or a difficult situation, and they suspect that God may be leading, but they never pause to ask him whether he is or not, and as a result, they often go in many wrong directions. Okay, so that's how we work. That's how we function from time to time. We think maybe God is leading us in a certain direction, but we never pause and ask him if that is legitimate or real. And So Jacob is a good example on this journey. He stops in Beersheba and he offers up sacrifices to God Where his father and his grandfather had years before That's when God speaks to Jacob once again God explains that it's right for him and his family to go down to Egypt and then he assures him of his accompanying presence God says I myself will go down with you to Egypt. What an assurance. Now, why is that important? Why is that an important assurance for Jacob as he goes down into Egypt, that God will be with him? Well, you might recall that God's original blessings to Jacob's grandfather Abraham involved three things. When we were back in Genesis chapter 12, I said that the Abrahamic promises revolved around three promises. The covenant revolved around three promises. You remember what those are? Land. He says, I will take you to a land. I will show you a land. that will become your own. Seed. Seed is the second part of this promise. I will make of you a great nation. I will make your name great. Multiple descendants. And then the third part is blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. I will bless you, God says to Abraham, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So from Jacob's perspective, going down to Egypt might put at risk those three things, at least two of them, right? Land, he's leaving Canaan, and he's going down far away to Egypt. It puts that part of Abraham's promises at risk. It also puts the part of the descendants, the seed. Because he's going to take all of these descendants that he has, and he's going to go down. They're going to be vulnerable in the strange land. Perhaps he also thinks that God won't bless. So God gives Jacob reassurance that it is indeed his will for Jacob and his descendants to leave so that they might be preserved in the famine. He says, God himself will go with them and that he will make him into a great nation down in egypt men and women that assurance is all that jacob really needed the promises of god put strength in the back of this elderly man and he goes armed with this promise of god's presence and god's provision Perhaps you're concerned with something that God is asking you to do. You're afraid of the challenges or the consequences that you'll face if you follow through and follow God's will in your life. May God's words to Jacob provide assurance to you. God in the new covenant as well says, I will go with you. I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor depart from you. I think we often fear the worst is going to happen to us. I don't know if I'm the only pessimist in the room, but I usually imagine a scenario and I think, what is the worst possible thing that could happen? And then I prepare myself for that. We often fear the worst will happen to us, but the reality is normally that doesn't happen. Normally that's not what happens, but even if it does, God will be with us there. He will be with us there. Joseph Elliott said it this way, Keep close to God, and then you need fear nothing. Keep close to God, then you need fear nothing. If you know that God is with you wherever you go, wherever he will ask you to go, then you will be okay. If God goes for you as an anchor for your soul, then you have nothing to fear in the midst of your own challenge or difficulty. So Jacob goes with his whole family because God is with him. God will be with him. That's the record of his departure, and it leads to the record of his descendants in verses 8 through 27. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read the genealogy. I know you really enjoy it when I do that. Okay, But I want to point out a few things about verses 8 through 27 I think are significant. First, in verses 8 through 25 we learn that Jacob has a lot of descendants. He has 33 descendants through Leah, 16 through Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, 14 from Rachel, and 7 from Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid. That brings his total descendants, if you're looking at verses 26 and 27, brings his total descendants to 66 and then when you add to that Jacob himself and Joseph and Joseph's two sons that are down in Egypt, that number becomes 70. Okay, So he talks about, he makes much out of the fact that there are 70 descendants of Jacob. That number is to capture the people listed in this group who are descendants of Jacob. Now, if you're doing the math and you're adding things up, it's likely that Jacob has more than 70 descendants. Some are evidently not listed in the count. For instance, it seems unlikely that Jacob had 54 grandsons and only one granddaughter, as listed here. One of the things you'll find in the list is that Moses records, uh, the, 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 uh, in, in most cases, he counts only grandsons and sons in the list except for two or three significant women who uh, you know must be something important of these women. I think it's also true that Jacob likely brings all of his servants down with him, who, who he's accumulated throughout his life as well. So it seems that many others in his extended family and associates go down with him to Egypt. Some estimate that there must have been two or three hundred people he went down with him there? So, why would Moses make a big deal out of seventy, though? And boy, if you, I, I'll, I'll just spare you. you. You don't have to read all the commentaries, okay? On this, there's just a lot of guesswork, okay? Some say, well, seventy is a perfect number. It's it's a multiple of two perfect numbers, seven and ten. You multiply them together, you get seventy, okay? And they say some things about that. Others. Say And I think that this might be uh, Perhaps more near the truth That the number 70 Was the minimal number Required by ancient standards For a people to be considered A country People to be considered a country So what is true However, no matter what you do with the number 70 Is that God's blessing is on Jacob And his family, and that God Is beginning to produce an innumerable people So that 430 years later, when they leave, there'll be about 2 million people among the people of Israel as they go. 430 years later, about 2 million people. Your God is fulfilling the Abrahamic promise of a seed with descendants as numerous as the sand on the shore, even if they're going down into a strange land far away from Canaan. Well, that's the record of the departure and the descendants. It leads to the second phase, and the second phase, I would say, entails encounters and establishment in Egypt. First, there are three encounters or introductions that occur in the next verses. I think this is what Moses is emphasizing as he writes this portion of the biblical passage. As a matter of fact, if you mark in your text, you might consider marking a few verbs. Down in chapter 46, the middle of verse 29, you could mark the the word presented. 46, verse 29, it starts out, then Joseph, and you skip some, get to the middle of that verse, he presented himself to him. So the first introduction or encounter is uh, Joseph presenting himself to, To Jacob. That's the first encounter. Then you go down to chapter 47 and verse 2, and you can mark the word presented there as well in the English Standard Version that I'm reading from. It says, And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Okay, so this portion, the middle part of this third trip, is all about introductions. Here it's five brothers of Joseph before Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Okay, and then in verse 7, the third and final introduction or encounter, then Joseph, you can mark the word, brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. Okay, so the center, center part is all about these encounters or introductions of various people to one another. And so it starts with... Joseph's introduction to Jacob. Go back up to verse 28 of chapter 46, and we'll read about Joseph finally meeting Jacob again. Verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I've seen your face and know that you're still alive. Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they've been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says... What is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. All right, so this is the uh, account of Joseph uh, being introduced again to Jacob. And I want to point out a few things here. And uh, hopefully these are things you can see in your own text. You picked them up as we went along. First, I think Joseph can't wait to see his father. You say, well, Pastor, where where do you see that in the text? You're just reading along. uh, Joseph goes and he saddles his own chariot. Like he prepares his own chariot. Okay, he doesn't get a servant to do it. He can't wait, I think. That's how I... Take this passage. I'm not the only one. Bruce Wolke would say it this way. He said, this is not an exalted vizier waiting for his servants, but this is an anxious son racing to greet his father. So he hears they're they're there. He, He goes and gets his own chariot, and he goes. Then when he finally meets his father again, Joseph is overwhelmed by seeing his lost relative. He breaks down again. He falls on his neck, weeping. He's in touch with his sensitive side. Kind of joked around about one of our former youth pastors, right? Paul Campbell, who would... Joseph cries more than any person in the book of Genesis. Maybe in the Bible. I've only studied Genesis with this. Yet I think it's quite natural for him. He's not seen his father for over 20 years. Their close relationship was drastically and dramatically altered in an unexpected moment when his barbaric brothers sold him into slavery. He was not even able to ever say to his father goodbye or shalom. So he's overwhelmed by seeing his lost relative. And Jacob is as well. You can hear that in his words. Now that I've seen your face, I'm ready to die. Let me die. But third, after the tender moments together, Joseph carefully prepares his brothers to meet Pharaoh. He's kind of coaching his brothers along about how to talk with Pharaoh. And his counsel here, I find, can be a little confusing for modern readers. So I want to point out a few things to you that I think will help us really get the point that Joseph is making. If you look down in your Bibles in verses 32 and 33, you would see that Joseph says that he's going to go to Pharaoh first, and he's going to explain that the brothers and his father are shepherds and keepers of livestock. So Joseph is going to use both terms to describe them, shepherds and keepers of livestock. Okay, now, I think it's important to understand these terms. I understand those terms as roughly synonymous interchangeable, almost. If there is a difference, keepers of livestock could include sheep and cattle, okay? But I think that he's using them interchangeably in the text. Okay, so if you're in verses 32 and 34, you'll see them use four times, these terms, twice keepers of livestock, twice shepherds, So Joseph says, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them that you're keepers of livestock and you're shepherds. And then he tells the brothers that they are to say that they're keepers of livestock because the Egyptians hate shepherds. You following? Okay, so this passage is a little bit challenging for modern readers, but uh, now let me tell you what I think is going on. There are a few different ways you can work through this. But I think it's best to see that Joseph wants his brothers to be truthful. Which, again, might be hard for them. Wants his brothers to be truthful so that Pharaoh recognizes that they can't join the regular Egyptian population. That is, Pharaoh will offer them land outside of Egypt proper, to avoid the turmoil that would happen if these shepherd brothers are introduced into the Egyptian population. We don't know why, but the Egyptians despised shepherds. So in essence, Joseph says something like this. Tell tell Pharaoh exactly what you do so that he gives you good land for pasture away from the people of Israel. I think Joseph knows that this will preserve their distinctiveness as a people and a nation and will provide for them at the same time, okay? So that leads us to the brother's introduction to Pharaoh. Look at chapter 47, verse one. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for our servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Okay, so you have this introduction, second counter. Joseph's brothers before Pharaoh, the most powerful and important ruler of the world. On reading through this, a few things stuck out to me, and I just want to uh, point out to you, and I think some of this is quite interesting. Uh, here Joseph decides to only bring five of his brothers before Pharaoh. Did you see that? Only five. We, we don't know why he brought five. Maybe he doesn't want to overwhelm Pharaoh with,, you know, all of the people, and bring all 200 or 300 of them, or all the brothers. Or. This is my personal theory that I'll never know is true until I get to heaven. Okay, but uh, it could be that Joseph chooses the five brothers that he think will make the best impression on Pharaoh. Looks over the whole family, this ragtag group. I'm sure as he's looking over them, he thinks some of them will probably do better before Pharaoh than others would. Imagine that you were going to go before some important person, maybe the President of the United States. Do you think that you'd be selective of which family members would join you in going before the President? If your extended family is anything like mine, there might be some that you wouldn't even tell about it because you think they're just not quite ready. (laughs) For that sort of experience. You know, Uncle Eddie, Cousin Vinny. I don't know how they're going to do. So I'm going to take five. Joseph takes five brothers with him. And when these brothers before him, Joseph knew what Pharaoh was going to ask. What's your occupation? He, he asked the question that he prepared them for. And the brothers used the specific term that is a vocational abomination to the Egyptians. We're shepherds. Might be a careless act on their part, or I think it's something entirely appropriate since the terms are interchangeable shepherds and keepers of livestock. The result then is something that both Joseph and the brothers actually want. They did not want to be assimilated into the people of Egypt. They wanted to maintain their own national identity, they wanted to maintain their own people and practices, and that's what God does. And so, both Joseph's brothers, time before. Pharaoh uh, is successful, and it prepares us for one last encounter. Look at verse 7, where Jacob comes before Pharaoh. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to, to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Now when Pharaoh finally meets Jacob, I'm intrigued by the first question he asks him. Okay, the question to the brothers is, what's your occupation? The question to Jacob is, how old are you? <laughs> okay, Now, it's intriguing to me because you know I don't think that's normally going to be a compliment. Right? If someone comes up to you and says, how old are you? It's probably not a positive statement on your stature or appearance. He knows he's old, but What we have to keep in mind is that the aged were held in high esteem in the ancient Near East and among the Egyptians. So Pharaoh, I think, believes that God's blessing must be upon this man who has lived so long. Jacob has already exceeded the normal lifespan of the Egyptians. And so he asks him, how old are you? And Jacob answers, he says the days of my sojourning are 130 years. And then he describes those days. He says they're uh, few and evil. At first Pharaoh might not understand, well you mean few, 130 years, but then he says, according, you know, compared to my father and grandfather, they live much longer than I do. He describes his days as evil there in the text, and that can be translated a a bunch of different ways, and if you have a different translation, you might have unpleasant or difficult or hard. His days were filled with difficulty. That's Jacob's transparent response to Pharaoh. Few and evil have been the days of my sojourning. Then uh, Jacob blesses Pharaoh and departs, and Pharaoh sees that Jacob does find a home in Goshen. Those encounters lead us to uh, the last part of this third trip, the establishment in verses 11 and 12. Encounters to establishment. Look at verse 11. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. At the end of this third trip, the Israelites finally settle. They get established in Goshen, which is northeast of Egypt. In contrast to the world around them, this family is provided with food. I want to show you something that uh, you know, this is the last verse I'm preaching on today, verse 12. Next week we'll start in verse 13. But I want to show you something when you see these two verses together. Verse 12, Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food. Then look at verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. In contrast to the world around them, No one else has food, but God has worked in such a way that they have food. At the beginning of this third trip, Jacob was faced with the challenge of trusting God to go to a place far away from the direct fulfillment of God's promises to him. And now, at this point, he experiences the blessings of being in God's will down in Goshen. And although this was a strange land for him, far away from his home, far away from everything Jacob has ever known, God's blessing is with Jacob there. So as I think of this third trip, I think of it this way. God leads the old, vulnerable man to a place of refuge and a reunion with his long-lost son. How sweet it must have been for Jacob in his final, I think it's 17 years or so in Egypt, to learn again that God, Yahweh, can be trusted. He provides. He's with us. He's near us. As we close, perhaps god has been leading in ways that make you think that the fulfillment of his good promises to you is far away it might be a relationship struggle that you're having with a brother or sister in this church for you know god has brought amazing reconciliation to us both vertically and horizontally with each other and yet there's this tremendous struggle that you're experiencing Maybe it's some relational struggle that you're experiencing in your family and it causes you to question the goodness and the provision of God. Maybe it's a job change that was thrust upon you. You didn't even see it coming and it's unsettling. Maybe it was a diagnosis, some sort of health condition or trial. And I know we have many people in our church who have been given diagnoses that are quite challenging for them. You have these things, and you fear the worst. But brother or sister, don't you know that God will be with you no matter where you go, no matter what he sends you through. It might not be exactly what you fear or dread, But even if it is, God will be with you there, and that's all you need. Might Jacob's example of trusting in the God of the Abrahamic promises inspire us to trust the God who gave us both promise and fulfillment In his son Jesus. Might we trust him through all of the journey of our own lives? As we close, I I, last night uh, felt that God wanted me to do something as we close, and so I texted Pastor Ben, our worship leader, and I'm sure he dreads seeing texts from me at nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock on Saturday. But I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here now. They, they know what they're, they're getting into here, but if the worship team would come and prepare us for this. I, I want them to lead us in a simple song of reflection. The song is, "'Tis so sweet. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." A dear sister in our church who is going through something I think it, that is more difficult than anything I have ever been through sent a a rendition of this song to Carissa and I this week and said that she's got it on repeat. That God is using the words of this old song to give her strength in her trial. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today as the worship team begins, and they lead through the first verse, I'd ask you to quietly bow your heads and think through the words of this song. Pray to God. Refresh your commitment to trust in Him no matter what He has. As they get to the second verses and beyond, they'll ask you to join in. But may the sweet promises of the gospel that we hear in this song today steal our back so that we would step forward in faith to follow God no matter what He has. So they'll lead us in the first verse once you bow your heads and reflect upon the words of the psalm.